Hello, and welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and a software developer at Axonic, Sarah Tori. In this episode, I spoke with Ben Ronchi, one of our solutions engineers here at Axonic. In his previous project, Ben went from using various tools such as MongoDB, RabbitMQ, SNS, and SQS in his systems to using Axon Framework and Axon Server as the messaging platform, event store, and more. We talked about the challenges and the benefits of making this decision. We also discussed scalability, monitoring, planning, education, and much more. I hope you enjoyed this talk and let's have a listen. Hi, Ben. How are you today? Thank you so much for joining me. Hi. Great. Doing well. So, Ben, can you... I know we talked uh, before about the Axon Initializer a few episodes ago, but um, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, your background, education, work, and where you are now? Yeah. Uh, So, I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, United States, obviously. Uh, I graduated college in what 1996 or I suppose university is where I was uh, I went to a university I had a degree in uh, telecommunications and then a minor in computer science uh, you know when I got there I would never have guessed that's what I would have uh, gone to school for but mm-hmm. um, it ended up working out and then kind of got lucky that I found all this interesting because then graduating at that time uh, that was kind of the beginning of all of the uh, or the what would have been the dot-com boom at that time. Exactly. And it's just, so it's, uh, has worked out to be a pretty good career in terms of, uh, you know, no end Yay. to the number of job opportunities and, uh, interesting problems and things like that, that I've been able to solve. Absolutely. So, Timing was great. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, I started off working heavily in the Microsoft stack for probably the first mm-hmm. 15, maybe almost 20 years, no, 15 years of my career. Um, and then, uh, probably, uh, I want to say it was 2010, 2011, when uh, you know so much of the world got into front-end frameworks. I think that really changed things for uh, Microsoft developers because you know you weren't writing just for the desktop or for the uh, backend. Uh, it was the web browser, and uh, having those frameworks really opened up. I think open source. And that's kind of how I started to get into other things as well at that point. So that got me into jQuery and then into uh, you know, Angular at that point. And then when I was working on an Angular app, we used Java as the back end. That was just right before Spring Boot. Uh, okay. So I left, went back to .NET for a couple years, and then ended. And then uh, during that time, again, Microsoft made the choice of uh, moving from you know .NET only running on Windows to running on everything. Right. Well, again, that was another big shift in my world. <laughs> Yeah. So that opened up all these other OSs that I hadn't really had as much experience with. Right. Um, and then Docker came out. So I would say that all those things kind of happened, kind of pushed me away from, opened a lot of doors to be able to easily go over to another uh, another ecosystem and ended up in Java mm-hmm. for the most part here uh, over the last four or five years. So That's really cool. And yeah. I love doing these talks because now I learned something that I didn't know about you. I had no idea that you did do front end and I had no idea that yeah, it wasn't heavy Java front end. Four or five years ago, that was yeah, about. But uh, still, I, I don't yeah. know why. I always assumed you were. You've been in the Java world since I don't know the beginning, but no, yeah, no. that's really so, great. Yeah, 
so then when I got back to it, Spring Boot was there, and mm-hmm. uh, that really, I you know, that was an eye opener in terms of how right. easy they had made it to build services oh, absolutely. at that point. Um, yeah. And then in terms of the whole uh, event sourcing thing, uh, that was something I had been inter- interested in for many, many years, the whole idea of events and then okay. event sourcing. But in the .NET side of the world, there really weren't and Not much, aren't yeah. many things in the way of frameworks. Sure. So yeah. you had to roll a lot of your own stuff. Um, right. So when I got over to the Java side and found Axon Framework, uh, to be able to like do so many things. It was, <laughs> it was like pixie dust as uh, all right. kind of jokes about, you know, but yeah, I mean, without you the had pixie to, dust. yeah, without the pixie dust, <laughs> pixie exactly. dust without it. Um, right. But that made it a lot easier to yeah. uh, do all the things I wanted to do. And more than that, as an architect, you know, mm-hmm. you are always trying to find ways to um, enable a team to be able to uh to build out a certain architecture so you can get you know the advantages you're looking for of course out of, of it. course as um, fast as possible and as easily as possible yeah yeah so that really made it a lot easier for people to uh to to come on board mm-hmm. understand what was uh come up to speed on it right. uh whereas if it had been like maybe a uh homegrown role our own rolled one you mm-hmm. know then it turns not just into needing to understand the business logic and how do we use a framework to uh, manage it? It turns into, okay, how do we fix the bugs in our framework exactly. that manages it? And then that yeah. starts to become you know, more time consuming. Much more of uh, a project that you wanted to sign up for ever. Yes, <laughs> right. exactly. So, right. yeah. so you mentioned a couple of things that um, I want to ask you about. So um, firstly, you talked about event sourcing and how you became interested in that several years ago. So can you tell me a little bit about that? And was that sort of in conjunction with the microservices or was it something totally different? Yeah, uh, I would say, so I, I first became interested in events. Um, gosh, it would have been in the mid 2000s. I was working okay. uh, uh, on, on a lot of integration projects. You know, the mm-hmm. idea was that at places I worked, you'd buy the best of breed. So I was working at a uh, online education company. Okay. And so we had a different app for running classes than we had for the registrar's office than we had for the finance group, you know, to, to pay or for people to pay and, Mm -hmm. you know, just all those things. So we wanted to, to, you know, integrate these so that when something happened in one, it would be able to go talk to the other one, uh, one of those other core systems. So we used at the time, it was a product called, it still is out there, BizTalk. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's just an integration product on the Microsoft stack. Uh, and so everything there was an event. So I really like this idea of, wow, we're decoupled. We can put something in a queue that makes a lot of sense. Sure. And the value of the event of, hey, I can archive that. I can see what went on over time. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And then uh, over time, the, one of the big things that I find most interesting to work on are uh, just, you know, the way businesses uh, operate with one another is it's a series of interactions typically that, you know, maybe a person probably can do if, if, you know, if they have the spreadsheet and someone else on the other end of the phone Mm -hmm. is able to do it, but being able to automate that and keep track of what's gone on, those types of things. So those are all uh, events or message, you know, some level of messaging. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where it got started. And then, uh, but every system that I ever worked on that was more following the uh, historical layered architecture, read your record, modify it, store it. You know, you were always faced with the challenge of how do I get events out of that? 
so that it can, I can actually do something to respond, you know? So there is kind of that bridge where, when I remember reading about event sourcing, I think it was probably in 2011 or something like that, maybe 2012, the first time. And I thought, well, gosh, if we could get that, or I could find some way to involve that with what I'm working on, this would Mm -hmm. solve a huge problem for me. I'd have my event here ready to go. The frame, you know, the system itself would be built around this idea and it wouldn't have to be this extra piece that you're, you know, cobbling on to the end of a transaction against the database. You know, it would just be the, uh, the transaction in of itself. So that's kind of how I got to, uh, or or met events, Mm -hmm. got to love them and then found my way to event sourcing in terms of like, gosh, I I just feel like that's going to solve so many problems for us. Uh, from an architectural standpoint. Yeah, and it sounds like in a way you were already using microservices because you are um, you are working with different systems and each system is taking care of something specific such as payment or um, you know keeping track of certain things for you and then in between you're talking to these different systems that are doing their own things. Yep. But then you unifying them in a in a in a way. Um, yeah, that's really really fascinating and cool stuff. So um, you talked about um, you as an architect and did you start your career as an architect or were you working more as a a software developer and then kind of shifted your interest into becoming an architect? Did did that switch, if there was a switch, happen sort of naturally or was it something in between that got you really interested in um, the architecture uh, or the architectural aspect of it, I guess? Yeah, you know, I think... Well, I, I started just like anybody out of college. I just had a job. Uh, yeah. I was I was like, yeah, I'm working. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. You know, that's isn't that what it? I can't pay for the my own beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's how it. I, so I started off just writing software um, mm-hmm. and working as a, I'll call it just a junior software engineer or associate software engineer at the a uh, I guess you'd call them a consulting company around mm-hmm. ta- around uh, Minneapolis here mm-hmm. and uh, just got interested more interested and I the path to arch- being an architect kind of just evolved down that mm-hmm. I evolved to that um, yeah. I think I always kind of thought well hey that sounds like an interesting job because you're doing a little bit more of the planning and trying to figure out okay how do we want to solve this yeah. uh, ahead of time and I had worked at a company uh, named Magenic Technologies mm-hmm. that had just a you know, uh, my goal is to never be the smartest person in the room. So <laughs> there, I I was probably one of the dumbest, um, oh, no. which is which is great which because is I got thing, a, you yes, learn a lot, right? I a chance to learn a ton of yeah. things from a lot of different people, and uh, and see what it really what meant to be an architect. You know, and uh, while I was there, um, you know, we, that was always this thing. I think everybody wanted to be an architect, but uh, the uh, the big challenge is, you know. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it's just not in the wheelhouse of everybody to move from, you know, uh, thinking about, or let's say this, what kind of an architect could you become? You know, yeah. some people are very good at the, uh, the real, you know, detail of the software, how it's put together, things like that. Then there's other levels of architect that are more, okay, how can I take what the business needs are, model it out? Maybe they, yeah. they don't have, um, uh, the same level of interest in, hey, how does the web server handle all the requests? More and than the, nitty you know, gritty stuff. Yeah, yeah. the nitty gritty. More yeah. of the technical to application to domain architect, you know, that type of thing. Uh, so 
um, I think my strength lies more in the uh, application domain mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can I can do the other side, but you know, uh, when you really work with somebody who does that, you know, like okay, every packet is going, every request is going to be so big, and they can you know determine how much bandwidth they need and what type of CPU and memory to make the system run under what load. It's pretty impressive because my brain just starts like being overwhelmed it's really at that. Micromanaging yeah. in that yeah. sense, yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. I really enjoy more the side of. Uh, you know, hey, how does this business, what are the entities or, or mm-hmm. concepts that make the business run? Kind of back to that, uh, you know, the, the whole Eric Evans domain-driven DDD design. kind of concept, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. that's really yeah. what, uh, I, that's really what keeps me, keeps drawing me into software is, is that right. side of thing. And knowing yeah, that I need. high level things and what yeah. actually matters to the business as opposed to yeah. all and, of and, the details. Yeah, and all these uh, things like Axon Framework, Java, you know, mm-hmm. whatever have you, those are the tools I'm using to help apply it. But, yeah. you know, I, uh, it, and I enjoy them, but you know, it's the, it's the, uh, the end goal is, yeah, is, yeah, is getting what something you're interested done for the in, business. Which is, yes. yeah, which is the business, uh, question and hand, right? Yes. And that's what we, we focus with, uh, with the domain driven design, which is really great. So I wanted to, uh, talk to you today specifically about, um, one of your previous projects that you had done prior to joining Axonic, um, which was basically moving from um, the sort of uh, more legacy monolith system that you were working with uh, into microservices and um, more specifically um, your interest in moving from some of the other services that you were using at the time or tools for that matter, like uh, MongoDB or RabbitMQ into Axon Server and sort of that process and the uh, not just the technical aspect of it, but also the, uh, like you mentioned, what you're interested in, which is the decision making of it or how to get there because the business requires it or demands it. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, so tell everybody a little bit about this project that you were working on. I believe you, it was in healthcare yep. and you had a lot of different parts that had to talk to each other. But um, yeah, just walk me through that process. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh uh, I was working for a healthcare uh, or a company that operates in the healthcare space. Uh, mm-hmm. We would work on behalf of insurance companies uh, for for the most part. Uh, that's how how it was kind of born out of, out of uh, insurance companies who sell Medicare, mm-hmm. Medicare, Medicaid policies. Yeah. They are required by law to go talk to whoever they sold this to. So they can't just yeah. you know go take. Uh, take the, the government's money and, and not worry about how the people that, the, that uh, have signed up to use their plan uh, with government dollars, uh, how they're doing. So every year they have to outreach to them and, uh, you know, ask them a series of questions uh, of, you know, have you been in the hospital? How many times have you fallen in the last year? Things like that. Um, uh, because uh, uh, some people are, are new to the plan. Mm-hmm. Other people, maybe something's happened and, uh, if you've ever been, well, everybody's been involved in the healthcare system in the U.S. If you're here, uh, sometimes a claim can take a really long time to be uh, figured out. So a company may not really even know what they have on their hands all the time. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So that's how it started. That was the the, the government mandate. And mm-hmm. the company I worked for, uh, they said they uh, they just took this on on behalf of a, uh, a few insurance companies mm-hmm. to do this. Well, uh, uh, it. They decided because previous to that, these insurance companies were just hiring, you know, office full of people to call call uh, their um, the members. 
well, that's obviously a very cost prohibitive uh, approach to solving this problem. Um, so the man who started this company was really big on uh, interactive voice uh, mm-hmm. to you know calling people, which unfortunately is also used for uh, the dreaded uh, spam call or right. the uh, robo call, <laughs> exactly. you know. Uh, but you know, we were trying very hard to not come across like that. Yeah, uh, is what it is. But that's so you that's, don't sound like you're selling an island to me. Exactly. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. You didn't just win a cruise or something like that. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a you know there were a few different aspects to this. Uh, so we would you know we get something from the insurance company saying hey here's the people we have we need you to talk to them, mm-hmm. and then we would tr- and uh, the government mandates you talk to them within a certain period of time. Uh, we would call them. If that didn't work, uh, we would send them a piece of paper, you know, uh, basically a questionnaire in the mail, hoping they Mm -hmm. would send it in. Uh, Sometimes we would do that first and then call them because hoping that, hey, maybe they'll see this and our call will make them fill it out and send it back to us. Uh, So that was really the idea. As texting and email became uh, much more uh, options, you know, cost effective options to do the things with, we, we really wanted people to come to our website to do it. And so that's really how right there is the big shift of going from this old monolithic system that was based mm-hmm. on on the Microsoft stack and, you know, used .NET, Windows, and SQL Server and IIS to get everything done mm-hmm. to us saying, okay, well, gosh. And then when you got in there and took a look at it, you're like, well, we want to do all these different channels now. Yeah. So, and the way that it had been built was that, you know, calling someone was baked right into the middle of the system, like being able to plug in something else uh, could be done. And and we did do it over there. But to be able to scale them independently, because Mm -hmm. texting and email is a different interaction model and throughput model than what making a phone call is, right? You know, that's where we were like, Oh, we really need to start breaking this apart. Because, uh, well, a it's going to let us scale at the at the rate we want. And then B, we're going to be able to start choosing the right technologies for the job here. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, that was the other thing for us. And, and we also, because, yeah, oh, sorry, I was going to say, we wanted to leave. We were on a hosted system. We wanted to be able to run yeah. more at Amazon and uh-huh. be able to take advantage of a few things there as well. So, Makes so sense. those were some of the impetus because, uh, you know, for us to scale up, took somebody, Hey, could you do that for us? Could you get us another <laughs> server? And it'd be like 30 days for the server to show up. <laughs> oh my God. So, yes. Yeah. No, that's interesting because what you mentioned is that um, in the business aspect of it too, you're moving from a, a more legacy old way of doing things. And so yeah. the, if you would monolithic way of doing it, because you're basically moving from a call center and mailman basically handing mm-hmm. letters to people into something that's much more um, technology driven, like sending text messages or emails or using um, automated calls um, as as much as we all don't like them it makes life so much easier because then you don't have to have individual human beings being on the phone calling people i mean you do yeah. have that also but a lot fewer number of mm-hmm. people who are in charge of that so that's really cool because you can see it how that happens in the business side of things moving into more uh, in a way microservices right because now yeah. you're using different yeah. technologies and different different ways of doing it and also in your systems you had to go through that as well, which is which is really mm-hmm. cool. So, one of the things that you had uh, mentioned in a in a previous talk that uh, you actually did for an Axonic conference a couple of years ago was that um, the 
there was no real domain model that was focusing on these business requirements. And that's why you had to make that shift. And also that there was a shared database with a lot of tables that were coupled to each other. There was no sort of decoupling going on. And therefore you couldn't really scale because everything was just connected and interwoven, right? With, with one another. And also you don't, you didn't have automation. So these are all of the things that you wanted to move away from and uh, in order to be able to, to grow the company. So some of the um, tools that you were using at the time uh, were uh, MongoDB and RabbitMQ. So can you talk a little bit about those um, for some of the listeners who may not know what they are? So can you tell us a little bit about MongoDB and what you used it for as well as RabbitMQ? Yeah, uh, so you know the original system, like we said, it was all based on uh, using this one database, SQL Server, at the time, and uh, that we didn't really have the concept of um, things being autonomous. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, like a, a whole service that could stand up or go down on its own, or and get messages from something else of, "Hey, I need you to do this for me," like a, e.g., a command message, you know, type of thing. Um, so that's really what we started yeah. to use as we broke things apart. We were using uh, RabbitMQ to be able to deliver those commands from one system to the other saying, hey, I need this done. And then uh, a subsequent event coming back. Uh, so we had started with the command and event model right there with that over RabbitMQ as, as our way of decoupling things. So mm-hmm. um, systems didn't have to know who was consuming it and who was who was saying it happened they didn't care. They just, you know, put it out there, knew it was going to get taken care of, and then I'd uh, be able to handle the response. Uh, and then on the flip side, the database, we really wanted to move. Uh, I One of the big things was, well, we were starting this out and we were really like, okay, do we stay with a relational database here? Or do we take mm-hmm. this opportunity to look into, uh, you know, a, a, a document database or some NoSQL database and see what it could offer for us? And we ended up choosing Mongo um, just because of uh, the ease of how it fit into the development model. You know, Mm -hmm. you just read something and it would read the whole graph out for you and then uh, store it for you versus maybe like a a key store or anything like the key value store, something like that uh, might be a little bit different. That end, we could put indexes on damn near anything we wanted. I'm not saying it's always smart, but you can do it, you know, and it's so easy to find things and parse things out. Yeah. 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 Whereas some of the other options that were out there in the document space, um, namely, uh, I can't, I think of the, there's a big Amazon one, uh, there, there are no SQL database. Um, it'll come to me in a, in a minute here, but yeah, that one I had to have, I could only have one index on mm-hmm. it at a time. Uh, and so that was really the big deciding because we didn't know what we were going to be querying on ahead of time or not. So we felt like it was giving us more flexibility. Um, so that's how we got to those two in terms of uh, deciding on those tech as on those technologies as we were moving away from uh, the uh, the original stack that we were working on. So, and because then uh, the, the whole idea as well was give each service their own database so mm-hmm. they could live on their own and scale independently at that point. So, uh, so but was needed. it easy to, to scale to the level that you wanted to with Mongo? Uh, yeah, you know, so when we first started, um, so we had to adhere to a lot of uh, um, health, uh, let's see, security constraints, uh, mm-hmm. uh, HIPAA in the HIPAA, United States yeah. here. 
Yeah. Um, so at so for first, those of those of you outside of the states, this is just a um, health information privacy and portability act. Is what? Now there you go. Right. I'm sorry, yeah. you know no, no, it's fine. Sorry. It's yeah. I just <laughs> always think of a big hippopotamus when I when I say the say it the really acronym. Feel like a big hippopotamus, doesn't yes, it? it? Is, <laughs> it's yes. such a big deal. Yeah. So you have to you have to adhere by uh, this. You have to just. So we yeah, had to adhere to that, and uh, when we first started going down this path. Uh, not a lot of things at Amazon were on their HIPAA certified list. Right. So uh, the main thing that was, was EC2 instances. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, at the time, and also, um, sorry, Mongo, their hosted service was not yet HIPAA compliant. Yeah. So we, uh, we just ran our own version, our own instances of it. And, and that worked to start, but you know, that was where we really quickly realized, wow, we suck at really running things at scale here. <laughs> That's um, not going to work out. Yeah. yeah. And thank God they, uh, uh, they came, they were able to, uh, to get certified in that period of time. And we worked mm -hmm. out, uh, whatever legalese and we were able to move over to their Atlas service, mm -hmm. which man, we made it easy. You need a bigger instance. You click a button, you hit go and it, it would be no downtime. Mm -hmm. you would just roll out a bigger instance of it or you need more disk space or, you know, all those types of things. So that's really how we were able to uh, uh, scale quite easily with it. The system itself mm -hmm. handles it. No problem. Um, right. yeah, for, for us, that was the biggest issue of us just planning what made, made the most sense right. uh, in terms of the, the, again, back to that whole hardware saw disk thing that yeah. I talked about that, I kind of get forced to do, but don't really feel all that comfortable uh, right. saying that, yeah, I think I did this 100% right type of right. thing. But they made it very easy. You could just move the slider and it would move it up or move it down. So yeah, so that was it. And then we ran our own instances of Rabbit at the mm -hmm. time for mm -hmm. the same reason. Um, okay. And because what we had started off with was, again, wanting to use SQS at Amazon, but that wasn't mm -hmm. on the HIPAA list either. So we had to right. do this ourselves. Yeah. Um, and uh, we even there we looked to uh, I think it was called Cloud AMQP, uh, mm -hmm. but again they they were more focused at the time on uh, uh, the right to be forgotten laws in Europe, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. as because yeah. they're being forced to handle that uh, right. a, a period of time, um, and so we never got around to running with them. Uh, right, with right. So yeah. So then you have a lot of different um, parts that you had to sort of coordinate together in order to be able to really um, move in a direction that you wanted to, which was ultimately being able to scale up your uh, business and capabilities of the business as the requirements were changing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really where when we got there and started talking about it. And so we had a lot of knowledge about how the business worked, right. but we had never really put it together like other than people kind of talking, we had a few terms that, that mm -hmm. would get used a lot, but they never, you would never really see them front and center in the software yeah. or in how things had gotten put together. Um, you know, cause it was always like, Hey, I've got an idea. And then they would do it or they put together some concept of it. And then all of a sudden that would become the system, uh, you know, and so knowing how to support it or the next person coming along, what does this mean? It's you like know, a surprise, right? It was. Yeah. So yeah. that's really where the whole domain modeling uh, aspect came into play to be able to, okay, well, hey, we, let's, let, we broke things down into some bounded context. As I mm -hmm. said before, we had, yeah. uh, we had to take files in. So that was one area of mm -hmm. the system, deciding who to talk to, when, all those types of things. That was another uh, set of the system. Um, 
actually executing on who to talk to when that was oh, yeah. another area. And then the channel, we called them channels. So that would be mm-hmm. like uh, calling someone using the automated voice, mm-hmm. uh, text, email. And then we had another channel. I, I think when people think of channel, they always think of something going out. But yeah. you, know, you can have a one-way channel or you can have a two-way channel. Two ways, um, right. Or it's an inbound, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so one of the final channels was web. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's typically what we use the email and uh, uh, SMS for or text mm-hmm. was saying, hey, why don't you come over to our website and take this survey that, you know, that we need you to take for you your policy. Take, yeah. 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 Um, so that was really uh, the, so the, those were other services we had uh, that we could, again, build and scale independently, excuse yeah. me, of one another. Uh, yeah. So, and uh, each one of them, we were able to, uh, some, uh, some we could get right away to use event sourcing. Uh, mm-hmm. because I think we, we really understood the concept of it well, or, or not uh, understood the concepts we were modeling really well. Mm-hmm. Right. Others of them, we did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, for as much as we had people who knew how to make IVR systems, we had never really looked at it as its own domain. Like, okay, right. well, what am I doing here? I'm making a phone call. I'm doing you know this thing. And uh, text and email was the same thing. Yeah. So we had these systems, but we... we didn't really bite off things from a domain model perspective in those. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They were almost more prototypes when we first brought them up. Okay. Uh, whereas the area that defined, hey, who, are, what are we trying to talk to people about and driving it? Those are two areas that we were able to right away uh, move over to event sourcing yeah, uh, in, is... the, in the new iteration that we were building. Right, so. right. So uh, you did talk about... Um, sort of one person coming in and sort of uh, um, building a system, right, um, on their own. And it's, it, it would be a little bit of a surprise. So I want to ask you a little bit about the planning portion of this um, basically migration from old to new. Did you, um, obviously, you had some people on board um, in your team that they wanted to uh, use event sourcing and they were um, okay with, with this process and they just came along with it and and uh, did the whole um, going into a, a bit more of a microservices and also using event sourcing in, in that sense. But was it a difficult transition for the rest of the team? Was the whole team sort of on board to go along with it from, from the get-go? Did you have planning sessions? Did you have to do anything like event storming or modeling or anything like that before you... Uh, decided what what tools you wanted to use or was it kind of like a process of elimination or trial and error let's use something and if it doesn't work use something different yeah um well i i think i think it was a, a little bit of uh everything <laughs> well possibly yeah so i had in my mind we events are the center to everything we do I don't know that everybody else realized that. Mm -hmm. So getting them to slow down enough and realize, well, you know, some a file arrived. That's an event. I take action off of that. That's my command. Uh, You know, the subsequent command that would happen. Mm -hmm. uh, I make a, you know, it's time to call somebody. That's an event, you know, uh, type of thing. But because I think there's still a lot of people that, uh, you know. They just think that the world is batch jobs and wake up, read everything from a table. Okay. Do all those things. You know, the idea <laughs> that, uh, you'd raise an event and do things asynchronously and wait for a response is, uh, mm-hmm. is new. Uh, so I think there was, a, there was some, um, uh, 
learning curve on it from that standpoint. Okay. And then, uh, but there was a, a large number of people who, or large, there was like four of us. So okay. me and another guy. Uh, so we the team to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the other team. Um, you know, right away we're like, oh, this is an event type thing, and you know, that's where we, you know, wanted to decouple our services. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started even thinking at the time, I'm like, this is event sourcing, but I don't yeah. know if I can sell that right now, just right as a stance. Let them figure so, it out on the road. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's where I, uh, we, we decided to partner with a development team out of uh, Bulgaria. Okay. And, you know, so it was kind of nice because I could say, hey, you know, uh, could you take a look at this for me? And they would overnight go work on something and come back mm-hmm. and say, oh, yeah, hey, you wanted us to look at that. Here's what it is. So it was a lot easier for me to have somebody go out and do some exploratory work, uh, come back the next day, and we could just, as a team, talk about it. They could say, yeah, here's what I found. And it was a way to kind of, for the people there uh, that were working with me in Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. uh, to see things. But it wasn't coming from From the the leader. Yes, (laughs) it was... It was, hey, somebody else. she did there. Yeah. You know, kind of, hey, it's an idea. See what it can do. And then when, when they come back and see it, that with the conversation that would ensue wasn't somebody feeling like they had to agree with my architecture. It was, right. give us your feedback on what you think this is. And then I could get about ideas like, hey, I think this would be great for handling this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, and so that's Genius. that's really how we ended up getting there. Yeah. So, okay. and, that's, and then that's how Axon Framework came in to be. Uh, like I said, okay. uh, in terms of a big centerpiece to our architecture over time. so And you experimented with Axon Framework because, you know, obviously you wanted to be able to um, have an easier way of using events and commands and, you know, messaging basically to the, do most of the work for you. Um, but then at one point you decided to use Axon Server when Axon Server became available Um Yep. So what, where did that decision come from and why did you decide to move away again from Mongo, which is a no relational database, back into relational database? Well, uh, not or back into, but no, no, we just went right to Axon server okay. Uh, okay. when that opportunity arose. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, when we started, it was 2017, early 2018. And I had met Allard at a, uh, a training he was giving in Denver. So myself okay. and another man flew down to Denver and uh, mm-hmm. went through the training there. Uh, and that was great. And talking to Allard, this was back when they had, uh, ex- uh, was it Exonic? Uh, I yes. assume it was. Yes, yeah, I'm trying to yes. think. Exactly. Exonic existed yep. at that point. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, there was Hubs and Axon DB. And mm-hmm. Hubs was a way of distributing your events yep. to people. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of to take away or... Uh, give you an out-of-the-box, more out-of-the-box solution versus, you know, Kafka or Rabbit or whatever mm-hmm. you might have been using to try to uh, distribute events if you wanted to take that approach. And then Axon DB, which is really the, the precursor to Axon Axon's server right server. now yeah. and the yeah. event store that it provides. Right. Uh, we had looked at that and uh, decided that at the time we were okay with uh, MongoDB in terms mm-hmm. of what we, how things were performing and also because uh, uh, we would have had to run it ourselves mm-hmm. at the time, which we were still very much in the in the like, well, one more thing for us to run, you know, type of thing. It's <laughs> like if I can keep it down, okay, I only have to know about you know Mongo and Rabbit at this point and whatnot yeah. in terms in terms of keeping it up and running and and monitoring mm-hmm. things that type of thing. Yeah. 
So that was another reason why we kind of backed away from it at that. This is in mm-hmm. 2018. Yeah. Well, then, uh, as we were going to write a couple new, so we started to, to use our system quite a bit and, uh, the number of events and adding events as we grew and added more functionality, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So the amount of data that we were starting to put into MongoDB was starting to was become quite prohibitive. Yes, it was, it was, it was humongous as you know, oh since Mongo is like hum- short for humongous, maybe right. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was getting to be a lot. I mean, our uh, yeah. domain events collection, I think at one point had 250 million documents in it. Wow. So, yeah. So we would see some performance degradation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we had to uh, start cleaning it out a little bit. But the thing, point of it is uh, we were all running all of our databases on one very large Mongo uh, mm-hmm. cluster and uh, a replica set, three node replica set. And it was working, but we just kept having to scale up and up. And we were noticing that, uh, um, well, not noticing, it's not like it was new, but the pe- the paradigm of uh, doing uh, subscribing, or not subscribing, but uh, uh, yeah, subscribing events uh, versus publishing um, mm-hmm. uh, puts a pretty big load on whatever database you're pulling. So our database would, uh, you know, you could see this domain events collection being the biggest thing as it got bigger and bigger and whatnot. But when we wanted to write other systems uh, with using event sourcing, we're like, okay, is this going to, is this going to work in terms of using Mongo? It's, it's it's just not. So that's where we called up uh, uh, Exonic at the time and said, okay, let's take a look at what this is and we'd like to try it. And mm-hmm. uh, so when we went and were rewriting a couple of those channel services, which were the IVR, SMS, email type services, uh, we started with IVR. Um, okay. And that's where we really, that was the first one to run on Axon server. And everyone after that run, ran on Axon server as well. And yeah. we just saw a much better performance out of those um, mm-hmm. for uh, being able to work with it. MongoDB uh, definitely got us up and running. But mm-hmm. uh, in terms of once we got the documents or the uh, dot, the uh, collection so big, the yeah. disk I.O. on it and everything just started to become very difficult to uh, mm-hmm. to keep Manage the performance. And... Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, and then one of the other challenges, uh, you know, with uh, well, with my, with a document store is there's nothing in there inherent to the document structure itself. Like they don't have like a sequence or something like that, that would be in a relational database Mm -hmm. uh, or identity column, maybe you'd call it, Um, but sequences being probably the better approach. Um, They don't have anything like that or Mongo itself doesn't Mm -hmm. at the time with one we were running on this three dot X something. And so that, you know, that starts to become an issue too. We had to increase our look back window as we were polling for events to say, Hey, don't go just look a second, go look two seconds ago, ago, because it could take it a while to write it and we could miss it by milliseconds. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it wasn't just keeping track of things in an event stream in terms of like a token that was like an identifier, it was keeping track of it in terms of the timestamp. So, Uh and at the time, uh, uh, I can't remember what it was. But uh, when it would when we would write out an event to Mongo, it would be down to three three digit uh, into the thousands of milliseconds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we needed it more precise than that to be able to not miss stuff. Uh, um, I see. Yeah. And that's what we ultimately we did get to that. Um, and I'll I'll get to that in a little bit. 
but uh, so that's what that was an, another nuance that was causing some problems for us as we were putting more and more and more data into MongoDB into Mongo, yeah. as our event store. So right, yeah, yeah. that's really cool. So um, one of the reasons you also decided to use Axon Server was the fact that it's location transparent, and yep. why was that important to you? Yeah, uh, there was a couple things there. Uh, number mm-hmm. one. Um, we didn't, you know, we wanted to make it so that services could call, could get data from other services when necessary, you know, like, Hey, I don't need this all the time, but I need it sometime. So -hmm. the whole query bus concept, uh, really is what started this started us down the path of saying, Hey, you know, I'd love to just publish a query request. It gets picked up, handled and sent back to us. I don't have to know how to find you. I don't know how, I don't have to know how to authenticate against you. Right. We don't have to have all sorts of security set up in all in different systems, uh, yeah. or even you know using the uh, the uh, we were using Auth zero for a, a little of our other front end security. Mm-hmm. But we were like, okay, I don't want to have to bite that off just to make this call. So <laughs> it made it real easy from that standpoint uh, to do that because um, I mean the other thing is the moment you expose an endpoint uh, on a service. You have mm-hmm. to make sure there's some some level. Okay, how are we making sure the outside world doesn't find out about this thing? Exactly. Talk about and, HIPAA and security. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. So this is that was another real easy way for us to be able to uh, achieve that goal mm-hmm. and not have to open another another door uh, right. that we had to make sure had a good lock on it and everything like that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and as we were moving around from uh, uh, just different. So in, during that time, we went from running on Docker Swarm mm-hmm. to running on AWS Fargate. And then we also had some things on EC2 instances. So not having to wow. know how to find all those things yeah. or just, you know, we could move them from one to another. They just go down and come back up and and be able to handle their query requests or they could make a query query mm-hmm. request. It was that was uh, made it real easy That's to handle really that type of a leap. Yeah. Yeah. So did Axon Server then replace almost all of the other tools that you were using? Uh, so we still continue to use, uh, we moved away from Rabbit and we mm-hmm. used S- SNS and SQS at Amazon uh, mm-hmm. for some some parts of things. Um, we started to use, our plan uh, was to use Axon Server because mm-hmm. uh, the biggest challenge we ran into was uh, in terms of getting it there was, okay, we need to have event sourcing be the underpinning of these different services. Sure. So that was really the thing that uh, uh, we we couldn't get to that until we decided mm-hmm. to go and attack that service and make it event sourced. Yeah. Once we had made a service event sourced, uh, that opened the door for us to start doing this. Um, we had uh, we had that between I want to say three or four services where Axon and the event store was uh, was the backbone. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few of the other ones. Uh, just the whole, the, you know, even though things are new, two years old, you still end up building something against it. And then it's like, oh my gosh, if I change that, I got to change these five things at the same time. And, you know, so you're wondering how you can, how you can break that, how you can make that Mm -hmm. happen. Um, but we were able to at least start putting together a plan that would be, Hey, this is how it would, how it looks. Here's how we're going to get there. What does Mm -hmm. it take? And be able to articulate that back to a product owner. Uh, from a technical, like, hey, here's the level of effort and here's the value we get out of it yeah. to get there. But um, but it just was going to take a little more time. But we had we had started down that path of using Axon uh, Server 
as the messaging mm-hmm. backbone for pretty much everything we were doing going forward at, at some point in time. Right, uh, right. We, we still had legacy or other things that we wanted to, to, to move over to event sourcing. And once we would have done that, they would have joined in on that as well. So, but, uh, yeah. 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 I guess because yep. uh, ultimately a lot of things are business decision, right? If it makes sense with the business, then you can obviously yeah. yep. turn the wheels. Otherwise it just, it takes yeah. a little bit longer. And from yeah. a, uh, from a perspective of, uh, of how many things we had to manage, moving parts, things like that. Yeah. You know, the fewer moving parts we can get to, uh, the, the better. better, you know, Absolutely. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can manage just that versus many because you know and... how many things can go wrong at all times. <laughs> you have fewer things to have to yes. keep an eye on. It's yeah. a lot easier to just exactly. having to manage five or six different uh, tools and services. So that's really, yeah. that's really cool. So, um, in the end, did you feel that was the right move for for your particular case? Were you happy with the end result? Was it something that um, you felt like, oh, this is really lacking and I'd like to see some improvement in it? And obviously, you've been working with Axon Framework and Axon Server since then, so you know the, what improvements have been made. Yeah. But at the end, was it a you good know, decision for you? I think it was. I think uh, some of the biggest challenges we faced at the time were... Um, you know, just some things in the framework uh, mm-hmm. didn't make it quite as easy to um, have one context be subscribing to events from another context, or we're using the query bus from another one. But uh, uh, things have been there have been some features added to the framework that have handled that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had you know our the the side of the house that put together a lot of our analytics. Yeah. They loved Python. They still do. Um, so again, that's one of the things you know one of the long term goals we have of uh, adding more clients. But even there, you know, it, it, we just had a, uh, we'd write a Java service and mm-hmm. we would just take all those events and put them in, put you know, wherever it is that they needed yeah. it so they could do yeah. their thing until such time that we could, uh, until that, that type of a feature would have been made available. Right. Um, so it wasn't like it, we had patterns in place. They were easy to implement. Yeah. Uh, they were so dead simple that you weren't really worried about them once you got them up and running. So yeah. monitoring them was really more are you running or not? You know, it wasn't, uh, if it was down, that was it. But if, as long as it was up, it was pretty easy what it was doing, uh, to take into place, uh, or take into account in terms of our monitoring of it. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and that gets to another aspect of, uh, of what we wanted to get in terms of being, how is the world behaving, Mm -hmm. uh, with Axon, when we were running Axon with Mongo, being able to tell how long an event was going to take when we would mm-hmm. put it into the event store and take it out. That wasn't something we had a real easy ability to do a metric on yeah. to figure out how fast can that happen. Whereas Axon server with uh, Prometheus, you know, and then uh, with the Grafana dashboard, yeah, you can see how long, you know, how many commands am I handling? How am I doing this? So, so that was another, it, you, you know, maybe not something that uh, when you sat down and thought about why do I want to use it, uh, it was the top of the line thing, right. but over time as we needed to understand, Hey, what kind of a volume can we really handle with mm-hmm. the hardware we're running on? Do we need right. more hardware, whatever it is, those tools or the fact Comes that they were really handy. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Uh, having it there, it's that whole end to end thing where the framework is yeah. built very, you know, so tight with uh, Axon server. It made it a mm-hmm. lot easier to tell what was, how long things were taking, what was happening, what was occurring, that type of thing. Yeah. When we had MongoDB. That was, 
that was always a you know, like Vague. log this, log that, <laughs> you know, that type, yeah. So yeah, exactly. that made it tough. So yeah, definitely. And when you, especially when you're growing a business or um, scaling um, your systems, that's one of the things that you want to keep an eye on because metrics are very important. Um, you mm-hmm. want to make sure that some things are working or um, like you said, if you need um, additional hardware, memory space, whatever it is that you're looking into um, and it, having it sort of readily available, it's always really yeah. nice as opposed to having to go dig Five billion uh, different trenches. Oh, <laughs> well, that's what, what it was. It was for. stitching together different <laughs> log files, you know, because it could be, you know, this microservice over here sent the command yeah. uh, that re- that then or handled the command that well, yeah, sent it. This one handled it, and then this one actually, or this one handled the command, and then this one actually handled the other one. A third one handled the event. Uh, so yeah, you're stitching together things at that point, and the tracing in Axon framework w- allows for aspects of this. But uh, it's still, you, you still got to have something to stitch it all together at the end. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. and talk about you know using different services as opposed to one uh, central one. You know, if you um, if you're using RabbitMQ for example, and you want to sort of uh, have an idea of how your messaging system is working, as opposed to um, you know just uh, doing everything on the Axon server side in terms of yes, these are the number of messages coming and going and so forth. And also as uh, as far as the event store part of it goes, you have an idea of, you know, um, how well you're doing. Are, are we running out of space here? Or, or mm-hmm. Are we needing anything additional? Whereas MongoDB, that's, again, a separate uh, service that you have to use um, alongside, for instance, your RabbitMQ. So yeah. you have two different things to monitor as as, um, as opposed to just one thing to um to look at, which is really neat. I'm always, um, I feel like it, uh, since I became a parent, I'm always for simple one thing that I can take, you know, keep an eye on because I can't mm-hmm. keep an eye on different things. There's like a oh, million yeah. things you have to look for anyways. And then yeah. you're, you're just like, if I can just look at one thing and get all of my information and data from that, then that's just, just going to make my life so much easier. So yeah. that's really I kind of say, uh, once you become a parent, um, at least I feel like I have uh, become professionally dumber uh, for no reason other than I my brain only has so much space. I and call you start it ramming, brain. Yeah, you start ramming kids stuff in there, and it starts taking a, you know taking up some of that professional right. area of it. It's like you know you've got to reallocate it. So no, I have to but, really uh, switch off my mom brain. <laughs> just really yeah. think here because like I have something in the memory to see. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, where's my central data <laughs> location at? That's exactly it. <laughs> and so. just pull all this out. Yeah, this is really cool. So, and and then obviously, I'm hoping at least you liked Axon enough to to join us in in our team, which is really cool. Uh, so, just to uh, wrap up a really really interesting conversation, which uh, if, if well, there's one more thing we're talking about more. Yeah, but go that ahead. That I yeah. just wanted to say about uh, mm-hmm. so finally that big service yeah. that we we in the end we had to you know it finally came down to the point that we had to get off of Mongo because the performance was just killing us. Yeah. Um, uh, so I worked with uh, uh, Stefan Dragovic mm-hmm. and uh, he helped me. Uh, so we basically, you know, uh, he worked on uh, getting a app that's out there now that I believe yeah. is part of our uh, migration toolkit mm-hmm. um, to help migrate away from uh, Mongo uh, over to Axon server. Yeah. There really is not, there's not much easier in the world than that. Uh, it just takes time to make it happen when you have 
250 million, 300 million of these events, events out there to, yeah, to move over. Exactly. Uh, so, but overall, you know, the migration away uh, mm -hmm. and and over to just running completely on Axon server for, for the, the last remaining service yeah. uh, or almost the only uh, remaining service that was uh, that we had on Mongo, it was dead simple. I mean, once we yeah. did it, it, moved over and, you know, as long as we uh, just updated the tracking tokens to be, hey, head of the stream, you know, it was perfect. So we actually could sit there and we ran it in parallel. The migration was going on while we were running still because yeah. it was just tailing the old one nice. until we got up to the front. And then so for all the pain that uh, we had endured, I was so happy that getting off of it, <laughs> that part was, of it was so easy. Was so easy. Uh, yeah. The one piece of advice I would have for people as they are doing this, though, is, um, you know, the migration, it wants to have every event in order. And through our like, hey, we need to, you know, we need to improve our performance. Let's get our old events out of here. Uh, that caused some gaps in our sequences that we had to correct. But once we corrected that, then it just easy. managed. Everything was real easy to get over there. So. And since you really liked uh, the Grafana dashboard and uh, the metrics with uh, uh, Prometheus, Stefan actually was the person who yeah. took care yeah. of all of that, which is really yeah. cool. I want to say... Yeah, and he did a little webinar on on how how uh, folks can use it, which is uh, yep. which is really cool. So I'll uh, I'll include that in our notes for for this podcast. But yeah, sounds good. Definitely, lots of um, amazing things uh, coming in. So yeah, thank you so much for for the time, Ben, and I really appreciate you spending the uh, part of your afternoon with me and telling me all about your cool uh, experiences and uh, adventures of the past and current <laughs> yeah. what you're doing with uh, with uh, all of these uh, wonderful systems and you work very closely with uh, a lot of clients and so you have a really good uh, insight on what uh, a lot of people are dealing with and uh, also struggling with when they're migrating from one system to another and uh, mm -hmm. um, you know applying new technologies into some of their legacy systems so it's a it's a really uh, nice way of uh, having some options and it's showing a few different things that people can try. So I really appreciate you sharing that knowledge with everybody. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Great having you. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of the day and hopefully we'll talk soon again about uh, some um, other cool things that uh, you're working on. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, All right. Sarah. Have a good one. Sure. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ben. Please join me next time for other amazing topics. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.